from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Now we turn to our first scripture lesson this morning, which is from John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, found on page 103 in your New Testament, if you'd like to follow along. Hear now God's word. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second text is from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And even though it says chapter 4, 12 through 13, I'm going to begin in verse 10 and conclude with verse 13. And just by way of context, Paul is acknowledging a gift that the Philippian church has made to him, presumably a financial gift, to support him in his missionary journeys and his ministry. And as he gives thanks for this gift, he also takes an opportunity uh, to teach the Philippian church about contentment. So continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning. 
even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Sonia Lubomirsky is a professor of psychology at the University of California in Riverside. Uh, and a few years ago, uh, Dr. Sonia was hired by ConAgra Brands to work on a new marketing strategy for one of their most popular products, Ready Whip Whipped Cream. You know Ready Whip, it comes in a, a canister or, or a container. Well, when Dr. Sonia was, was hired, uh, she started uh, doing some research and her research produced a particular data point that she found more compelling than any other. 93% of Americans, 93% of Americans describe themselves as wanting to experience more joy in their lives. 93% of Americans express that they have a desire to experience more joy in their lives. So Dr. Sonia helped create a campaign that sought to connect the emotion, the feeling of happiness, of joy, with the purchase and consumption of Ready Whip. The tagline, Ready Whip, share the joy. Uh, the Ready Whip campaign is, is not actually an, an outlier. In fact, there's a whole segment of brand strategy that has been dubbed joy marketing. Joy marketing, it's been around for a decade or so, and the foundation of this approach is to connect a consumer to a particular product that when the consumer sees the product or purchases the product, or uses or consumes the product, they associate the product with an emotion. They associate the product with happiness, with joy, with satisfaction, with contentment. And so these strategies will make commercials and ads. Uh, they'll have taglines and, and storylines. They'll use sentimentality. They'll use nostalgia. They'll use inspiration because what they're trying to do is create for the consumer a feeling of happiness every time they think of Ready Whip. That's what they're trying to do. And Ready Whip, as I said, is not the only uh, product that we've seen Joy Marketing applied to, right? Uh, even Scotch, right? Johnny Walker, their, their tagline used to be, keep walking, keep walking. Now, it's Joy will take you further, keep walking, right? Of course, the, the great corporation that's here in our backyard, Coca-Cola, their tagline, one of the most successful marketing campaigns they've had in their history just from a few years ago, open happiness. Open happiness. Or how about just good old McDonald's? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Emotions of joy, emotions of happiness, emotions of love. These brands and so many more like them are playing off our deep, deep longing to be happy. They're playing off our deep desire to experience joy. Well, if you're just making your way to First Presbyterian Church, we are in the midst of a sermon series. It's 
uh, supported by and inspired by the Enneagram, an ancient spiritual tool that helps us understand desire and motivation in human beings. And what we've been talking about over the course of this series is that God has given us desires that make us human. And that these desires can be uh, found in service to the mission of God, to what God intends in and for the world. And so we're continuing in this same vein, in this same series, with the longing and the desire to be happy. Now, for clarity's sake, throughout this sermon, I'm going to use the words happy, happiness, joy, contentment. I'm going to use those interchangeably. I know some of us, we, we parse those words out, we nuance them, but I want to use them uh, as a pool of words to support a fundamental idea, is that we have this deep longing, this deep desire. We use words like happiness, we use words like joy, we use words like contentment, but what we're really talking about is this deep desire for fulfillment. We want to be fulfilled and we want to be satisfied. Here's an illustration to explain what I mean. There once was a wealthy man vacationing in luxury uh, in the Caribbean when he came across a fisherman about mid-morning. The fisherman was actually resting on the pier. His feet were propped up on his tackle box his boat was docked next to him, and he had a bucket of fish, but there was only a handful of fish. It didn't fill the whole bucket. And the man said to the fisherman, why aren't you fishing? And the fisherman said, I'm done for the day. The man indignantly replied, well, it's, it's mid-morning, mid and, and you've only caught a few fish. And the fisherman said, I've caught the number that I that I actually need. The man was perplexed by this and said, but, but you could go out there and you could catch more fish. And the fisherman said, well, well, why would I want to do that? Because if you catch more fish, you can sell more fish at the market and you can make more money. And the fisherman said, well, why would I want to do that? so that you can buy a better boat, that you can go deeper into the sea, that you can buy better equipment, and you'll catch more fish. And the man said, well, why would I want to do that? The man said, so that you can make more money, so that one day you can put your feet up and relax. <laughs> to which the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing right now? I think there's a formation in Western society, and certainly in the United States, that would attribute words to this fisherman that simply do not belong. To be the fisherman in this story is actually not to be lazy or to be slothful. To be the fisherman in this story is to be content. To be the fisherman in this story is to be happy. To be the fisherman is to know the meaning of enough. To be the fisherman is to know what peace and rest and well-being really mean. To be the fisherman in this story is to receive the moment that comes in mid-morning with gratitude, with satisfaction. To be the fisherman in this story is to experience real-time fulfillment. To be the vacationer, on the other hand, is in some measure, in some form, to be discontented. 
It's to be restless. To be the vacationer is to possess a mindset of scarcity. To be the vacationer is to miss the gift of the moment, to miss the fact that we have enough and that we are enough and that we can actually rest right now and everything will still be okay. Over the past few weeks, we've, we've talked about how our God-given desires can become distorted. We've talked about how our God-given desires can be distorted. Ordered And the distortion and the disordering that comes with the desire to be happy, it travels, friends, a very slippery slope. It begins at the very top as we lose our capacity to appreciate the moment and the gifts that make up the life that we already have in our possession. Last week, I was with the Sunday school class, uh, parents with younger children, and we were, we were talking about in the midst of diaper changes and carpool lines and, and trying to manage a household with two working parents and, and trying to figure out all the relationships and all the responsibilities. How do we experience joy and contentment and gratitude in the ordinary? It's not just younger parents, it's all of us. We can lose our awe. We can lose our appreciation for the gifts that are right in front of us, the gifts that we possess right now. And oftentimes, to carry the image, we don't appreciate the fish that we have already caught or the rest that we already have on the pier because there's always more fish to catch out there in the sea. And there's always more satisfaction to be had. So we cannot rest. We cannot stop. There's more to be had than what I'm experiencing right now. As this desire continues its slide, we can become uh, prone to the sin of gluttony. And we can become compulsive, we human beings. We can become compulsive with food, we can become compulsive, rather, with our experiences or, or over-the-counter medication or alcohol or illegal substances or possessions or, or money. And these compulsions can lead to addictions. And these addictions, I think, in many ways are how we self-medicate to suppress our unhappiness. It's how we self-medicate to avoid negative or challenging emotions. It's how we self-medicate to avoid our discontentment, how we avoid pain, how we will avoid even the trauma that makes up a part of our story. It continues to slide down as we become increasingly bored. We lose optimism. We hide behind a happy face. Maybe we're doing that right now, even at church. And we eventually lose hope that our desire to be happy, that our desire to be content, that our desire to be realized, or be satisfied, rather, will actually be realized. So we've been asking the same question throughout this series. What will it take for this desire to be reframed? What will it take for this desire to be reoriented? 
I think the Apostle Paul gets us on this way in Philippians 4 when he talks about learning to be content. He says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Paul has learned, he's been educated in the laboratory of life, of what it means to be satisfied. And what is so interesting to me is that although this is written 2,000 years ago, Science and the social sciences are telling us that happiness is actually something we can learn. Contentment is something that we can teach our brains. The so-called science of happiness and disciplines like positive psychology have a lot to say about this learning. I think maybe in previous times and in former times, we'd look at somebody who was joy-filled or was happy and we'd say, man, they are hardwired for happiness. And then we'd look look at someone over here, a curmudgeon, a Scrooge, and we'd say, they're hardwired for unhappiness. But what science is telling us today is that our brains can actually learn to be content. Paul was a little bit ahead of the curve here when he's talking about learning to be content. His brain, his mind is learning to be satisfied that we can actually learn to be happier. And what the social scientists will tell us is that that we can learn to be happier, happier through good habits and mindfulness around contentment. They'll talk about habits uh, like practicing moderation, something our culture desperately needs. Practicing moderation, as the Bible says, in all things. Or how about the practice of refusing to sweep trauma or pain under the rug, to put away and keep in secrecy negative emotions, and rather have the practice of integrating them into our stories so that we can find deeper healing and better well-being. They'll talk about the practice of gratitude. They'll, They'll talk about the practice of having all for the ordinary, to find joy in the ordinary moments of our lives. I love what Benedictine monk David Stendhal Rass says. He says, happiness doesn't make you grateful. Being grateful makes you happy. Happiness doesn't make you grateful. Being grateful makes you happy. This is actually something we can learn. We can learn this. We can put it to practice. And our brains can learn to be satisfied and content. And so there are books, right? There are articles. There are blog posts. There are Theo Ed Talks. Or TED Talks, sorry. uh, Freudian slip. TED Talks. uh, And the like that can provide uh, education. They can provide the information about how we train our brains to be more happy. But I, I want to conclude this sermon by focusing not on what the secular scientists have taught us, although I think they provide incredible value to this conversation. I'm not casting them aside. What I want to do is follow a different route while I'm thinking about these social scientists and all that they have contributed to the conversation regarding happiness and satisfaction and contentment in the life that we have been given. What I really want to talk about as I close is a theology of happiness. I think every Christian should have a theology of joy. 
I think every Christian should have a theology of happiness. Simply put, I want to understand what God has to do with our contentment. I want to understand what God has to do with our satisfaction. I want to understand what God has to do with our happiness because I really do believe deep down in my core, I believe that God wants us to be happy. I believe that. I believe that God wants us to be satisfied, that God wants us to be content. I believe that God has intended for human life to flourish in joy, in joy. And doesn't Jesus say exactly that in John 15, the text that Rebecca read for us this morning? When Jesus invites the disciples to abide in him and to abide in his love, He does so with cause. He does so with a reason. He says he wants his joy to be in us. He wants his joy to be in us, and he wants our joy to be complete. Keep that in in the front of your mind. He wants his joy to be in us, and he wants our joy to be complete. What's so interesting about where this line is delivered in the arc of John's gospel, it's part of what's known as the farewell discourse. And this discourse uh, is, it consists of uh, chapters 14 through 17, and it's sandwiched between two really important stories in the Gospel of John. On the front end is the story of the Last Supper, the final meal that Jesus will share with his disciples. And on the back end is the story of the events that will lead ultimately to Jesus' crucifixion. The farewell discourse is spoken within a context that is not very happy. It's not necessarily a joy-filled time, and yet Jesus implicitly says, I want my joy to be in you, thereby declaring, I still have joy in the midst of these circumstances. I still have joy in this time. Apostle Paul from Philippians 4, thinking about him again, tells us that contentment, that true satisfaction is not related to our circumstances. He says, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Think of Jesus again, despite this being his last meal with his closest friends, despite the fact that he will be betrayed by one of these friends, despite the fact that, that pain will come, and it will come in severe spiritual and physical ways. Jesus still has joy. It is a scandal within the gospel that in the midst of these circumstances, Jesus still has joy. He possesses a supernatural happiness that's fully integrated into his situation. And this contentment is only due to the fact that he himself abides in the life of God. He can find joy in the midst of these circumstances because he has found the love of God. He knows what it means to abide in the life of God. And though his circumstances will change and they will become untenable, his identity and his purpose are deeply rooted in this life and love of God and therefore he still possesses contentment. He still has satisfaction. 
And friends, as I close, this is the gift of grace that comes to us. Church, this is the gift that God wants to give to us. When Jesus says he wants our joy to be complete, what he's talking about here, the Greek word for complete, is like taking a ready whipped container and having it totally filled with whipped cream. That's what it means to be complete, that there's nothing more that we can add to it. And think of it, each and every one of us has a joy basin that is ready to be filled with the love and life of God and the contentment that love, the love and life of God brings. And what Jesus is saying is, is what I desire is that, that basin be totally filled so that when the world and your life is not pouring into it, when you're facing untenable situations, when you are feeling unhappy, when you're feeling discontented, when you're feeling restless, and when the world is not adding to that basin of joy, you know that it can be filled because you abide in the love of God. We may not be happy with our circumstances, and let me be very clear about this. You shouldn't be happy with your circumstances that bring broken hearts that bring grief, that bring trauma. That's not what we're saying here this morning. We're not saying that you should be happy with your circumstances. What we're saying this morning is that we can be joy-filled and content in the midst of our circumstances because we belong to God. Listen to how author and pastor Frederick Buechner put it. He said, joy is home. God created us in joy and created us for joy. And in the long run, not all the darkness there is in the world and in ourselves can separate us from that joy. Because whatever else it means to say that God created us in God's image, I think it means that even when we cannot believe in God, even when we feel most spiritually bankrupt and deserted by God, God's mark is deep within us. We have God's joy in our blood. Church, to be happy, to be content, to find our ultimate satisfaction, we confess, is found in our abiding in God's life and God's love. As Jesus said in John 15, he is the true vine and we are the branches. The vine is the source of life for the branches. It waters and and brings nutrients for what the branches need, not only to survive, but to thrive in this world. And even though the branches will face harsh conditions, right here in Midtown, we had a pop-up storm, and in our backyard, the trees were swaying, and I thought of this text, because so many of us feel like we're being blown in the wind, and we see those branches moving back and forth and wondering if they're going to break. The winds and the storms of life, they do come. But our soul can be secure in the true vine. We have what we need in God. We are who we're supposed to be when we abide in God. We know what kind of fruit we need to bear in the world when we abide in God. We can be truly content. We can be truly satisfied when the joy of the Lord really is our strength. May it be so in us and in our church for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Amen.